Welcome to Flash Gordon, the official story of the film, podcast. This series will look behind the scenes of the forthcoming book that celebrates the making of the movie from 1980. I'm filmmaker and author John Walsh, and I will take you on a journey through time and space to discover how Flash Gordon has become one of the most iconic science fiction films in the last 40 years. I will be speaking with the cast and the crew and fans of the film, and giving you an insight into the making of the book. As we lead up to the publication date in October, I will reveal details of forthcoming events and there'll be a chance to win copies of the book too. This could be a bumpy ride, so for God's sake, strap yourselves down! Now, Matt, you've done um, various posters. People know your sort of iconic reworkings of uh, classic films. Um, but this isn't your first time looking at Flash Gordon, is it? I found at least two other examples of Flash Gordon in your portfolio. Um, yeah, well, I'm a huge fan of the film. So in the past, I've done artwork just for myself. Um, and then as I've done more and more work over the years, I've just become, it's become more and more sort of like official work and I get hired by studios and stuff. So then I don't know if they'd seen my other Flash Gordon work, which is why they asked me to do this new stuff, or it was because I've already worked with Studio Canal on John Carpenter re-releases. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit of, a bit of an obsessive with Flash Gordon, so... It's been a bit of a dream job, really. Well, you kind of fall into the right category, don't you? Because Flash Gordon wasn't very successful when it first came out, and yet it's built that kind of fan base, as you say, to an almost an obsessional level now. This is 40 years yeah. later. Yeah, well, I, it, it's really because of my dad. Um, I don't know. I've, I've probably said it online a few times, but I was actually born at home in 1983. Uh, on Christmas Eve, and that was the UK TV premiere of Flash Gordon. And the reason why I was born at home was because my dad wanted to finish watching the film. Wow. <laughs> so the first film I ever saw was the tail end of Flash Gordon. Um, and then they've, it's obviously been like a bit of a family tradition to uh, watch Flash Gordon around Christmas. So it's just a film that I've grown up with my whole life. So, yeah, it's... It's, I guess it's not, it, at the time, like I say, it wasn't as a huge success. I, it was more popular over in Europe than in the US and stuff, wasn't it? Um, and I guess that's why Studio Canal uh, have the rights and stuff for it now and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's one that I just can't ever stop watching. It's just, it's got the, the right balance of comedy and action and visuals that are ridiculous, but it, it's one of those films where it knows that it's it's ridiculous. So you just go with it, don't you? And you just love it. You just you just love it. If anybody that's seen it, they love it. Well, that's the funny thing, isn't it? As we we talked about people being like real fanboys and obsessed with the film. Other films that came out in 1980 would have been Empire Strikes Back, which of course good film, yeah. um, Superman <laughs> Two, um, which you know still a good film, um, Saturn Three. <laughs> <laughs> I like that film. Um, and the final countdown with Kirk Douglas, where, where a kind of a, um, a warship goes through a uh, time warp. So, oh, yeah, I've seen, yeah. I've seen the film. Yeah. So quite a mixed bag. So, um, you know, not all of those films have had the 4K treatments. So really for Flash to get the 4K treatment 40 years later really is, um, 
It's quite a badge of honour, really, isn't it? Yeah. It's, I guess it's got it's become really cool, hasn't it? So there's that factor. And then Studio Canal have been known now for a few years of remastering 4K with the John Carpenter stuff and other titles that they've been going through, like historical ones. And just the quality of the remaster, the, the visuals that I've seen from the remaster on the Flash Gordon, it's 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 not that they just upscale it, they umph the colour and it's got the HDR stuff obviously as well. But they spoke with the director and the original print was very vibrant and they've brought that vibrancy back that was uh it's, it's been missing in the dvd releases and the blu-ray releases where it's it's a bit more muted than it should be so it's just so bright and technical uh, it's it's something else i think people are going to be quite surprised actually when they when they get to see it in in that light and it's quite a surprising film because of course it didn't have a traditional um uh, management as as most Hollywood films do. It was kind of very much made outside of Hollywood by by Dino De Laurentiis. I, I want to ask you a bit about your early flash posters. Um, Dive in particular is a uh, is a fabulous piece, and uh, I had to search a bit for it online. It's of of uh, of Volton. The uh, yeah, the it, it was a stencil. Uh, so I made a stencil um, and then hand cut it out of wood. And then spray painted. So I was I was sort of giving it a sort of a sort of pop culture spray paint vibe. And then that image of Walton is actually what I based on the new the new artwork, except I obviously painted him, so it was a bit more detailed. But that's just like classic Brian Blessed, isn't it? The screaming face and the just the exuberance of him just dive. It's just yeah. I just, you just can't imagine anybody else doing it that way. <laughs> well, when I spoke to Brian, he said that even as a child, he used to play with his friends after seeing the cinema serial of Flash Gordon. He was always be cast himself as Volton. Oh, that's, that's amazing. amazing. I didn't know that. But fascinatingly, when he was um, being fitted for the costume and they went through the various uh, makeup tests, Dino De Laurentiis always had final say on that. And they tried him in blonde hair. And so we have the photo of him in his blonde hair. Wow. Looking quite angry, actually, as Voltan, and, and that's going to be in the book. Um, so it is interesting the different um, transformations the characters went through. Even yeah. small things like having blonde hair changes people um, enormously. Now, now, your other poster I'm looking at, I'm not sure what the title's called, but it's got Ming holding the world in his hands and Flash going yeah. through. It's splendid. Does that have a title in itself? Um, I don't know if it does. It might have been something like Pathetic Earthlings you know something like that i can't remember now it it's got a lovely sepia tint to it as well doesn't it? um yeah they're my hands that i use for reference i remember doing that um yeah that was just me sort of spinning off the beginning of the film where he's that sort of presence i always i've always for some reason i've always remembered when they're they're, they're in the plane in the pilots and his face flies towards the camera and it smashes out the windows. And it's just, that's sort of an image. I don't even know why that happens, but it's just something that I've always stuck with me with the film. So I guess that's me doing my version of that in a poster. It's more simple sort of design than the sort of stuff I did for the new, the new poster. So... Yeah, um, that was part of an exhibition years and years ago in New York. 
It's lovely. And it's interesting that you used your hands because in the film, it's not Max von Sydow's hands either. So when the film is finished, yeah. So um, Mike, the the original film starts with um, uh, Flash Gordon uh, as a quarterback for the New York Jets speaking to the press and in the changing room. That was all cut, 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 cut. So they needed something more like a Star Wars intro roller. And so Mike wrote the sequence. They got some hand actors. They recreated a bit of the sets. Max von Sydow recorded it. Um, I think he was either in France or in Sweden at the time. And they got um, Peter Wingard as well, separately into a sound booth. So all of that was done as jigsaw pieces. Also, the hot hail stuff, was a, that was like added in. Added in, very last minute. That's just so classic, the hot hail. It's just so random, it's brilliant. Hot hail, the way it flashes up. Yeah, I didn't, and I didn't know that they'd added that in. It's so all very last minute. And, uh, and it's on the front, obviously, of the Queen album. So it, it kind of opens with that track, Light of a Signboard. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was Mike's genius of trying to give it a kind of a, a, yeah, a chapter point at the front that kind of sets up the, the, the mood and the tone um, before going into those fabulous titles. So um, I say it's interesting your hands were used because that's you must have been channeling Mike Hodges. Because I, I use myself for reference quite a lot. So, yeah. That's... So I suppose the question like um, that regular punters would ask is, why would we need to create a new poster for Flash Gordon if posters already exist for it? And what would you say to that? Um, well, the reason is, is purely because it was due for a cinema re-release of, and then the Blu-ray as well. And they wanted to do it with a big splash and something new that would uh, catch eyes. And then also, obviously, like the old posters, although they're iconic, um, they just, I guess they wanted something slightly more modern, even though I personally like the old school uh, style of posters, so I push for that wherever I can. And I tried to sort of give it a bit of the vibe of the old, um, the US one sheet that is by uh, Amsel, isn't it? The original poster. So there's elements where I brought that in. And it, it, they just wanted a poster that, that showed everything in the film, basically. I mean, w- there was more stuff I could have added in. I really wanted to try and get Clytus in there as well. It was, it was an everything uh, but the kitchen sink approach so I think the reason why they did it is just because they wanted to make a splash with the announcement of the new 4k remaster and a good way to do that is to have new artwork and make it like a special edition so uh, it's it's I guess a really good thing that they did commissioning of course and was there a brief for this? Did they say, you must do this, but you mustn't do that? And the, the, the uh, brief was, design. yeah, there, there was a brief. It was really simple, actually, to be honest. It was, um, do what you did with the John Carpenter re-releases. That was it, basically. We liked what you did there, do that. And then they found out pretty early on, obviously, that I'm a huge Flash Gordon fan. So I kind of um, just put things in that I wanted to do, like the the platform, the spike platform. I just really wanted that in because then I got to have Prince Baron in as well. So um, the, the the brief was really simple and they just let me go wild, which is always good fun. <laughs> so what do you, you, you touched on there about the original posters and they had um, three different artists working on that. Philip Castle did the uh, Revenge of the Hawkmen, which was the um, preview poster that went into Variety. 
And yeah, it's like the one with War Rocket Ajax and they're flying. Yeah, and all flying in it. It's all cut yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Philip really famously cool. worked with uh, Stanley Kubrick and David Bowie. Yeah. Um, I've interviewed him for the book, but uh, he was going to be doing the release poster as well, only he wasn't available. Um, he, he worked on it. Um, it's four artists, in fact. Uh, and it was, as, as you said, uh, Richard Amsell, uh, Lawrence Noble, who, who also designed the Queen album cover. And, uh, um, right. and who am I forgetting? The, uh, the Italian gent as well. Oh, yeah. Um, Renato Cazzaro, yes. Yeah, yeah, who did Conan the Barbarian and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, and would have yeah. been on the VHS. The VHS and the European release for Flash would have had his artwork. So it seemed as if they had different art, artwork for different territories. Yeah. Um, but with Amsel, people love the Amsel, don't they? Because he did Raiders of the Lost Ark and, and all those sort of iconic Spielberg films. So was that a help to have sort of different artist style or was it a hindrance? Or did you try and kind of think, well, that's the past. I'll do my take. Um, it is a help. And I've and definitely liked to take inspiration from the old historical art. Um, like I love the Amsel poster because of the Ming likeness because it's not really what they did that was so good is it's not really a likeness of Max von Sydow it's like a likeness of Ming so it's more exaggerated and st and then the the UK one by Cesaro like you say it's it, it's really exaggerated his pose is really action-packed but then a lot of the time those posters were done pre-release and they would have just had some photographs to go off. So they probably would not, wouldn't have necessarily seen the film. So then what I like to do when I'm doing something like this, like I've done Empire Strikes Back recently as well, is I just bring in elements that are more accurate to the film so, so that people that know the film go, oh, I, that's that bit, I remember that. So I just, it's like the Hawkman City on the Amsel poster. It, it looks it's always looked to me like it's more based off of concept art than the model that's used in the film so i based it off the model that's in the film on my poster basically so i just try to make it more like something that people that know the film would be able to go oh i know that that's that's nice attention to detail <laughs> basically. So all of those original artists have different ways and techniques as yeah. some more traditional painting uh, philip castle was all about cutting things out um, I'm looking at your poster now. What what can you reveal about the sort of production process and the materials that you use? I start off um, just doing sketches on paper and stuff, really basic thumbnails. Um, and then I work digitally. So what to do to get it approved is I'll usually do like, um, based on photos that they give me or snapshots from the film, I'll do like a collage in Photoshop of everything that looks, they always look so terrible, honestly, but it's just to get an idea of composition. And then because with something like this, they're going to use it for a poster, they're going to use it for a DVD, they're going to use it on a t-shirt, they're going to use all these different things that they might use it for. I make each element separately, uh, a lot larger than it needs to be. So, and I do them full body as well. So there's a, full body Ming somewhere on my computer that I, and I paint it uh, in Photoshop and, the, and then I have all those elements and then I pull them together into the poster to, to get the composition but then if they go oh can you just move Ming to the left or we need a portrait version and a landscape version it's quite easy for me to move elements around and change the composition without having to resort to the old-fashioned uh, way of cutting stuff out and gluing it down or painting over the top. 
So yeah, I work digitally, uh, but I, I've got a, a big screen tablet, and, I'm, and so I do it all by hand, digitally in the computer, basically. So like David Hockney, really, because David Hockney always works with his hands, even when he's digital, he works suddenly directly. Yeah, I've got a pen. I don't, I don't do anything. It's weird because over the past sort of ten years, the technology has got so good. The pens, they're so sensitive. It feels just like you're painting. And they've got these brushes that, are, that, that recreate like um, different paint types. So you can do watercolour and stuff and it just reacts the way it would if you were actually painting. So that's how you can get a painterly feel really quickly on a computer because it's actually just like painting. Now, I'm not sure how much you know about the original posters. And to be fair, nobody does because it's all a bit of a, a murky world. And when I spoke to all of the artists for the book, except um, Richard Amso, who sadly passed away at a very young age, I think 36 in the 1980s. He, he died quite young. But all of the other artists, I asked them this question. And uh, as a filmmaker myself, it's the thing that I most worry about is where are the original materials? And the original paintings in all cases of all of the four posters that have done, the original materials are not locatable and are presumed lost. And it was the assumption that they were in the original studios with uh, Universal Pictures then it was assumed they were with Dino De Laurentiis, and I've checked with the De Laurentiis family. And it is a shame, isn't it, that original assets, which now would be worth a fortune, um, you know, could be auctioned for triple and quadruple figures and so on. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that, about original assets? I mean, in, in, because you're working in a digital environment, you can create lots of first-generation safety copies. But does it surprise you that so many posters are, are, are no longer around? Uh, it, it doesn't really, because obviously, like back in the day, an artist would have to send the painting away to a photographer to get for, to so that they could then make the posters from it, and quite often they wouldn't get it back. Um, but then, obviously, there's there's, I guess, with like the Star Wars films, for example, because they were so huge, they've got an archive and they've kept all of that stuff and they keep it all and they make sure that it's all safe. But then a film like Flash Gordon that took a few years to, to to get appreciated for what it was by the time you know 20 years later that people go actually this film's a classic like you say they've probably just been trashed they've just been thrown away and it is a shame but i think it's not something that happens as much nowadays because obviously people know that so they just keep stuff it's like i get i always i always i always compare it to like buying action figures like uh, years ago people used to buy action figures and rip them open and play with them but now nobody does that all the people i know that collect action figures i'll get i'll get two <laughs> i'll get one to keep in the box and one to open to play with so i guess people are more aware that there's a chance that stuff is going to be appreciated more down the line so they, they keep hold of it it's just a shame that those there's those certain things where they've gone um, I, I would have thought that they would have those assets, but they don't. Yeah. No, that was the assumption. Some of the artists I spoke to, because I spoke to the studios as well involved, and the artists were a bit surprised. They said, well, I always assumed my master artwork, the textless version, would be there. Yeah. And, it's, and they have high-resolution scans, of course, but the same is true of the photography. Most of the photographs that are in um, my book that comes out in October were supplied by the fan base. And yeah, they're all they're all like scans, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I, well, I with, with this, I actually they gave me a scan of the original UK quad for Flash Gordon, and it was a folded quad, just a photograph of it basically. Uh, but it was quite high res, so I actually um, remastered that. I took all the creases out and I cleaned up the type. I added back in a bleed, so if it's printed, it can be trimmed down because it's an edge-to-edge poster. Um, and that surprised me that they didn't have like a higher quality asset. It had all like artifacts on it of hair and stuff because it was just a scan. Uh, but I've done that before. I've done that with Drew Struzan posters as well, where um, my my company's released posters and the this, this, this studio scans, the quality isn't quite there to be reproduced because it will literally just be a photograph or a scan of a poster that came out then. So you just have to go in and retouch it, which is kind of strange, but yeah, no. I mean, it's, um, yeah, other films, you say The Empire Strikes Back, Clash of the Titans, I'm involved with the Harryhausen Foundation. We have everything from that, all the models, the artwork, we have all the separations for everything. We even have the title um, cells that we use for the title sequences for the film. So, and they're all in pretty good condition. And there's Flash Gordon that cost twice as much and came out um, just a year before. And there's virtually, there's no assets in terms of the costumes, the models, um, anything interesting, even the outtakes and trims. I was speaking to the restoration people for a podcast and they were saying it's, you know, we've got 300 cans, but we don't think we've got any of the deleted scenes necessarily. And of course, they're the sorts of things that you and I would buy the film again if there was just a <laughs> extra minutes, even if there was no sound. You know? yeah. So these are, and it's the same with Doctor Who, you know, Doctor Who, which is obviously a, a, um, for some people, a, a much more sort of basic program. BBC's running around the world now trying to find old episodes because they can keep repackaging and reselling. So I think it's true, isn't it? People didn't realise they were an asset. In the no, world. exactly. Once the theatrical run ended. That's it. Move on to the next film, you know. Now, what was the biggest challenge, would you say, in terms of the artwork? Because often people say, ah, oh, that doesn't look like him or that doesn't look like her. Was it the faces or was it something else? Um, it was, to be honest, finding really good reference for the costumes because I, I really wanted like, um, to recreate how they were and like the way the costume designer did like the star on Ming's chest and all those, the accessories, they're kind of like these weird little beaded, really finely detailed things. And they're just, it just gets blown out in the film. You can't really see it. And there's not very much reference for that. So I kind of like, it was finding that. And then um, Dale's dress as well. I kind of had to sort of fudge it a little bit because I couldn't find any really good details of what it really looked like. Oh, you should have come to me should have come to me i had loads of images of the um we have so many images we might be doing a, another book of just the costumes and just the weapons and yeah because they're just the, the costume design in that film is 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 so intricate and it, it's just crazy i just it's yeah and the fact that ming's got like about six different costumes and each one is just as intricate as the as the others it's it's amazing but yeah uh, that was the biggest challenge was probably getting the costumes right i think and you said earlier that you have the death wheel in there with um, um, Flash and, yeah. uh, and and Tim Dalton there as well. Um, it, was that a favourite scene for you? Um, you know, what in terms of the poster, did you feel like I must get this scene in because I, I really want? Yeah, I really wanted that because I just it 
for me in the film I've always loved it because it's just so like outrageous that the, the Hawkmen have this thing just in in their city ready ready to go with the remote control <laughs> uh, so it's like they do this on a regular basis um, but also it's because it's the turning point in the film where uh, Baron goes good and they make friends and it's kind of like I think it's quite it's where the film turns and they turn the tides and they go off to get Ming so that's what I, lo- I like about that I think so that's why I wanted that in the film in America, they kind of frowned upon the fact that the film was, for a family film, quite sexual. Yeah. And women were scantily clad, and clearly some of these women were, were part of Ming's harem, you could say. Yeah. And on the other side, you have people like Timothy Dalton going around saying, you bloody bastards, <laughs> all the time. It's like, how did they not get a 15 certificate? Bloody <laughs> bastards. Freeze you. Then you got to ask him, does he want tea or coffee? Bloody bastards. And I mean, what's that about? I Honestly... I don't really know. It's, it's things like that. There's these random little things in the film that make it for me. It's like there's this bit where, they're, you know, when they're sucking um, Dr. Zarkov's brain out and he says, not my mind, it's all I've got. I've spent my whole life filling it. There's just something so funny about that. I don't know why. And then, like you say, freeze you bloody bastards. It's... It's almost like, I guess, they just let them go wild on set and there's a lot of it must have been like done while they were filming. Like the football scene where Flash uh, fights the guards at the beginning by playing American football. They must have made that up because why would that be in the script? <laughs> it's just so random. It's hilarious. So I think it... They just obviously had a lot of free reign to go wild with that film, and that's why people love it. There's some beautiful um, production artwork as well as beautiful storyboards, and of course Mike Hodges wasn't able to stick to those storyboards simply because it was mainly they had money, but they didn't have time. So they really had to hammer through things, and you're right, you know, it was improvised, all that stuff around him in Ming's court, playing the quarterback, throwing things. Yeah. so partly, mainly because of, of time restrictions, they didn't have enough right. time to prep it all. Uh, but did you get a chance to see any of the original sort of production artwork, concept art, storyboards? Some no, I, I, didn't, I didn't get any of those assets. All I got was like um, studio stills, you know, black and white ones and colour ones, um, which were interesting to see, but a lot of them the, um, weren't really applicable to the poster. So, but it was good to see all that sort of stuff. And did it surprise you that, oh, is this all we've got? Because I had a sense of that when I started on it. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Because when I'm doing things like Star Wars or Marvel, like the Marvel stuff, they, they send over everything. And you just and, and it's like a sea of things, different costume designs that don't even make it into the films and all sorts of stuff. So it's... I thought that there would be more... I definitely thought that there would be more stuff... But then I had the film to go off, so I just did it. I just approached it more from doing it uh, just from what's in the film. Really. Now, obviously, I know that you were super duper young when you first saw the film. I mean, <laughs> could you have ever imagined that you'd be working on its kind of crucial 4K rebirth and doing the kind of the lead single poster artwork for it? Never, never. I was one of those kids that liked stuff at school that a lot of other kids didn't. 
and again that is down to my parents like showing me things like Forbidden Planet when I was a kid and stuff uh, and I was obsessed with Star Trek um, the original series when I was a kid and it, it's kind of like paid off now because the, these things are kind of seem to just be timeless and they get more and more appreciation as time goes on so the fact that I have that basis of being a fan really helps especially when you're dealing with a studio who they're obviously fans as well but they might not be as into something as you are so you can be really helpful in terms of oh I personally would love it if you packaged up recreations of the old posters in the blu-ray release because i'd like to have little postcards of the original posters and then they go and do that things like that it's like useful to have that knowledge of what a fan would like when you're working on a product a project like this and you know if any studio was looking after one of your favorite films studio canal is like the best place has been proved by the advanced sort of preview photos of this box set they've yeah. really gone you know, to the nth degree. I don't remember any box set being as lavish and as well looked after and as well cared for. Exactly. They're amazing. They're absolutely amazing. And like the, the attention to detail on the remaster, doing things like removing the wires on the Hawkman, because obviously the director always wanted to do that and they just didn't have time to do it before the time or the money to do it before release. It's things like that that just it's like really respectful it's not throwing like a cg hawkman into it flying around it's just really cleaning it up and obviously that's expensive but it just shows that they really care about their back catalog of uh, films the, the way that they've treated them treated them so far is really impressive now my final question is not a flash gordon question but a general film question because i'm part of the harryhausen foundation as i was looking through your work and it's the Harryhausen centenary this month. I yeah. didn't find any Ray Harryhausen designs, but is, no. is Harryhausen a, a sort of a, a genre of cinema you're interested in? Yeah, that's another. I was a huge fan of those films when I was a kid. Um, the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms um, and the Sinbad films. I loved those Sinbad films so much. I was actually speaking to somebody in the US who's got the license and they've just done a Clash of the Titans poster with another artist that I know. Um, so there's there's talks, I've had talks with people about doing stuff. Um, I just don't know if anything's gonna happen, but like doing the Sinbad movies, I, I've always really liked those. Um, yeah, what are the Harryhausen ones? So Clash of the Titans, Valley of Guanji, One Million Days, Years Days BC. And the Argonauts, that was awesome. And the Argonauts, of course, yeah, with the skeletons. We're yeah. working with um, Warner Brothers on a possible 4K release of Clash of the Titans for next year for its 40th yeah. anniversary. So it'd be good, of course, if we keep talking about that. And, uh, you know, if we see any Harryhausen art, we'll certainly um, we'll flag it up for you on um, on the Harryhausen Foundation page. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm, yeah, Harryhausen's one of those... It's, what, it's a bit like um, the film poster artists where you watch a film when you're a kid or you see a poster in the cinema, obviously, and you, and you go, well, this, I recognise this style. When you're a kid, you're just watching Sinbad or you're just watching Clash of the Titans, but you recognise something about it, the way the creatures are and the way they move and things. And then you see the name 
and then it's good that now we've got all these things there's a really good documentary that i watched about harryhausen um and it's good that, that these people these creative people are now like seen because back in the day obviously a film poster by drew struzan or amsel or uh, any of those people it was just a film poster and they didn't really get the credit but now it's a much different world and if an artist is making a, a, a poster they always want to credit because it's like um it's an extra story to put on social media this is the guy that made this and then you get you get more of a narrative to it so it's really good that people like drew struzan have got the sort of respect that they i don't think that they, they didn't have the respect in the industry they did but like public people are more in the public they're more aware that somebody made these things which is really cool i think uh, you're right because for some of the early harryhausen films we did a book uh, two or three years ago called harryhausen the movie posters and when we look back at some of the early black and white films the studios have no record who produced the artwork no. So they have in-house people and it could be one of a dozen or so people and nothing was allowed to be signed and no form of creative credit was assigned to anything because the studios felt, well, we've paid you a wage. We own this now. We own you right, now. Well, yeah. <laughs> so times have really changed, haven't they? Definitely. Things, it's really all about like um, nowadays, my, I think film marketing is done hugely on social media and they can have different stories and they can have different things. That's why films, I think, now have so many different posters. Because obviously back in the day, there was one poster and that poster was the poster. You might get a different poster in a different country. But now it's like a poster will have a teaser poster and then a main poster. And then there might be an art poster or there might be an exclusive poster at this cinema. And it's because they can have different, I think it's they can have different stories on social media that help push a film. And it, it, it all just sort of feeds back into like the poster scene and collectors and stuff. So it's really a really good time for film posters, I think, personally. Well, that's great. Matt Ferguson, thank you so much for speaking to me on this Flash Gordon podcast. And uh, we look forward to seeing your work in, in full real life glory um, when the yeah. box sets release later this year in August. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Oh, I should say, I should say, uh, I don't think it's it's public yet, but my poster company is putting out a poster of the Flash Gordon. Oh, brilliant. Do you want to give us a plug for that so that listeners know where to go to? Uh, it's all in the works. It's going to be soon. It's Vice Press, and um, we've got the full-size 24 by 36 poster. So that should be news on that relatively soon. Exciting stuff. Matt, thanks very much. Awesome. Thank you. Copyrights in Flash Gordon, the official story of the film podcast, is owned by John Walsh and Titan Books Limited, under license from King Features Incorporated. Audio from the film is courtesy of Studio Canal. This recording may not be reproduced in whole or in part without written permission from us. The views expressed within these podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of the associated companies or its employees. For further terms and conditions, please contact us at our Facebook page, Flash Gordon, the official story of the film. <laughs>